Fun morning already, isn't it? Yeah. If you would uh, just join me in prayer real quick, we're going to jump in the Word. So, Father, we thank you that you're here among us, that you're working, that you're speaking. And I pray, Father, right now, by the power of your Spirit, that you would open our eyes, that we could see, we could perceive and understand your Word, that we could rightly discern the times and uh, the call that you have for our lives. So, Father, I thank you for these things. We set this time apart to you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. If you agree to that, you said, amen, amen. Uh, Anybody in here like chocolate chip cookies? (laughs) A few of you. Does anybody here despise chocolate chip cookies? You just cannot stand them. No, nobody. Because chocolate chip cookies are like a universal food. It's every culture around the world has learned to love the thing that we affectionately, you know, refer to as a cookie. Like this thing is a work of beauty, simplicity, right? I I am known in our household to sit down to a glass of milk and a pan of cookies and that was my supper. Like seriously, I, I could just, I can polish them away, I can put them away, but only if they are cooked a certain way. Because after all, there are right ways of cooking chocolate chip cookies and there are wrong ways. Ways that go against the laws of nature. Okay, who are my fluffy, thick, cake-like cookie people? You want it like, see, like four of you. This tells you where this is at, right here. How many crispy, buttery, like, anybody? Okay, where are my, my chewy, gooey people? <laughs> okay. So basically, that's uncooked. You realize that, right? That's just not, just not a fully cooked cookie. That's all that is. Um, you, the ingredients of a chocolate chip cookie don't change. But the way that you put them together alters the outcome. The, the basic ingredients of a chocolate chip cookie are universal. Like if you go and you look at the back of a bag of chocolate chips, they have the ingredients. But the way that you assemble it, the way that you put those ingredients in order, well, how you handle those ingredients determines the outcome of this cookie. What it's going to look like, taste like, the experience of that cookie is going to be. I am a melt the stinking butter, people. Make it crispy and golden brown. I want it salty. I want it like wafer thin. I want to knead the cup of milk in order to eat this thing because it's so like crunchy. You have to submerge it in the milk before it's edible. This is the where I'm, and all the rest of you are wrong, okay? The basic ingredients for Christianity, all the same. You go, you go to pretty much every church in the world, and they're going to have the basic ingredients for what makes Christianity. But boy, oh boy, does it matter how you assemble those ingredients. What kind of future 
is determined by how you put those ingredients together. Is our future basically holding on until Jesus comes again so that we can be saved for the sweet by and by? Is the reason for his death and resurrection solely so that we can get saved and one day go to heaven? Or is there more to this story? See, the basic ingredients for Christianity, the death and the resurrection of Christ, baptism, the sacraments, all these things, are the basic ingredients are all there. But man, how you treat those ingredients determines the outcome, the future outlook, what you are looking forward to. How you treat these ingredients will determine your future and what you're working for. One way of treating these ingredients might lead to a hope-filled future after death, and the other might lead to somebody spending their life seeing heaven invade earth. One might be filled with anticipation of God's goodness once I die, and the other might recognize the death of Christ as your death so that eternity can begin to fill you right now. Same ingredients, very different outcomes. Is this planet destined for destruction, or is the fire of God's baptism meant to remake things? Are we living for transformation and seeing all things put under the, the feet of Jesus? Or are, we save, or, or, or are we waiting for him to come back and do all the work for us? Why did he go away in the first place? What, what's, do you under, when you look at the basic ingredients for Christianity, it, it, it spells salvation, it spells forgiveness, it spells mercy, but oh boy, the foundation of things and how you lay that foundation out will frame how you live your life. What you do with your life. What you spend your energy, time, resources towards. Are you sowing your life and sacrificing within your life because of your storing reward in eternity? Are you laying your life down now to see Jesus' kingdom come? Or does it feel like I'm needing to somehow just hold on? I, I, I don't have a future on earth, and so there's no reason to save the planet. Isn't it funny how we end up with a viewpoint towards the creation that is towards the remaking of it or the inevitable destruction of it. And depending how you believe about the future will determine how you spend your life and how you steward the very world you live in. I wonder if there's more to life than just getting forgiven so you can die and go to heaven one day. Anybody alive today? <laughs> Next several weeks as a church, we're going to be talking about the vision, the mission of the church. But more than that, I, I, I want to lay a foundation again. These are things that we have talked about and spoken about in the house church from the very beginning. Nothing has changed here. This is that you wonder why there's an environment of freedom. It's because of the foundation we've laid.
It's because of how we view the future. That there is a hope and a future and that we're called to help make it. We're not victims of it. We're called to help make a future. Empowered to bring change. The foundation, though, it really matters how you place it in your life. And this is what I've discovered is that I can talk about some of the things I'm going to talk about today, and they're going to feel very familiar to you because they're principles in the Scripture. But I'm inviting you today to see it with new eyes because if you'll lay a fresh foundation, if you will recognize that some of the things that we've just believed as true and just sort of like pass over it, that if you put it in the right place, it will reshape your view on what you should do with the rest of your life. An empowered future that matters. And if I have my way, if I get to give several weeks to this, by the time we are done with this, this will be a group of fire-breathing, spirit-filled, empowered people ready to run out the doors and change the world. Okay? It matters, the stuff we're talking about. So I'm going to invite you on a little bit of a journey. It's a theological journey to lay some foundational stones in our understanding so that we can build upon that strong foundation and see Jesus get everything he paid for. You ready? I don't know if you are. Would you put a hand on your heart? I want to pray one more time, this time for real. Holy Spirit, get them. Get them, God. Lord, I pray that you would absolutely breathe into each one today and light them on fire, that their hearts and their minds would come awake, God. I pray that as we speak truth, things that they've known forever, Lord, things that they've thought about before, Lord, that that truth would pierce their hearts and unveil a new reality, God, that they would see the world differently. They would be birthed into this new reality and their lives would be transformed forever, God. Forever, Lord, laying their lives down to see your kingdom advanced in, in and through, Lord, the rest of their days. God, I thank you for this. I pray these things right now in Jesus' mighty name. If you dare to agree with that, you said. Amen. Amen. If you got a Bible, would you please open to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, it's a good place to start. Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let us make man in our image. You know, God is a creator. He speaks the universe comes into order. He breathes into his creation and life is given birth. The Holy Spirit's hovering over the deep and the, the vibration, the sound of God is pumping life into the earth and bringing order out of the chaos. When God speaks, the created order jumps into its framework and we see as God the uncreated begins to relate with the created. He looks at his creation. He says, it's good. He looks at the creation and all the animals, the land, the water, everything, and he says, I'm looking for someone who can steward my heart. 
who can govern the creation according to my ways. And so he makes man in his image. When man shows up on the scene, God is his God. The Lord, the Father, is God of Adam, of Eve. He is their Lord. He's their God. And God gave to man the faculty of rule over the creation. In the beginning, when God set this in motion, it says that Eve and Adam were one. That Eve was in Adam still. He had not taken Eve out of Adam yet. That the likeness of God make God, make Adam, make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule. The, the image of God is seen when Adam and Eve are one. When the man comes together with the woman and are united and they are one flesh, that this carries the image of God. The power to create exists within this image. The creative faculty to make the world in any way that they want to make it, to fashion it, to bring forth and rule over the creation. They have creative faculty. They're in God's image. God is a creator, and Adam and Eve are in this image of creators, and God sets them in the world in his image, and that image is to procreate, to bring forth life, and then to make the world. <laughs> the image is seen. The, the image of God is recognized when the man and the woman come together as one. Something so profound in that. Verse, chapter 2, verse 7, then the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. This passage is powerful. It demonstrates something. You have God taking the dust of the earth, uh, forms it into man, and then the Father breathing violently into this creation. And the breath of life, the ruach, the, the eternal breath from our creator enters into man and makes him a living being. That spiritual connection with God is vital and important. They have the life of God in them, and so their lives are going to be spent in union with the life of God in them, God being their God, and man's job is to cultivate the earth and to make the earth into order. I'm, wa I'm walking someplace. Keep following me. You got this. Spirit of God is in humanity. This connectedness, their life is rooted in spirit, in ruach, the breath of God, eternal life of God in them. God sets them in order. This is verse 28 of chapter 1. God blesses them and says to them, be fruitful multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
be fruitful. Bring forth something out of your life. If you want to know what you should do with your life, you should become fruitful. You should encounter the living God and with the Spirit of God in you, you should bring forth something out of your life. Be fruitful. Create something. Have children. If you're married and you have the opportunity to do this, you should. There's something divine in the kiss of heaven, in this process of life coming forth. Bring something out of your life. Create a business. Invent something. Become a gardener. Put seeds in the ground and cultivate something. Bring something out of your life. You are destined for this. You are made for this. You're bored with life? Promise you, you're not bringing something forth out of your life then. You're just tasting and entertainment is filling your eyes. No, no, no. You're supposed to be bringing something out of your life. Be fruitful, God said. Multiply your fruitfulness, that thing that comes out of your life, that expression of you doing something, producing something, that thing, it's not supposed to just be kept to you. It's supposed to impact others. That impact is supposed to grow. It's supposed to get on other people. It's supposed to impact their lives. It's supposed to touch other people. You are made to bring increase. I love that. This is something that is wired into us. You wonder why somebody wants to build a business and see it become something bigger? That's a God thing in them. You wonder why this breath of life, it, it, it inspires people. And it, it, when, you, when you let fruitfulness come out of your life, you want to see it impact others. You want to see it grow. You wanna, it wants to spread. It wants to impact and grow. Multiply. That multiplication, it's meant not just to touch abundance in terms of Small impact, it says that you be fruitful, you multiply, and you're to fill the earth with it. That sense of legacy that I'm supposed to impact something far bigger than me. That that thing's a God thing, and it's been wired into humanity since the very beginning. And that you're called to do this. This is your life. This is who you are. This is what you're supposed to do. By the way, after this sermon today, you'll understand why the house church is the house church. What's different about this thing? This is the engine. This is where it's at. Why we get behind people and we bless them and we send them and we want to see you do well in life. Why I have no interest in somehow being a voice of authority over what you're doing. No, no, you got your garden under control. We want you to be fruitful. But the call is to be planted in the house of God and see the fruit come forth in your life so it affects others. Look at this. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Have dominion. This rule that God talks about is to rule over that which will willingly submit to you. To subdue is to kibosh. And so in the very beginning, God says to Adam, I'm your God, and you are being given authority to rule over creation, that which will willingly submit to you and that which will not. Your job is to put it into order. God then sets Adam and Eve 
into a garden. If you remember this, anybody remember what the garden is called? Eden, right? Look at this passage. This is Genesis 2, verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden towards the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. The Lord God planted a garden towards the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. Oh, man. Look at this. He creates the world. And he says about the world what? It is. It's good. And then within the good world, God creates a land that he labels Eden. The word Eden means paradise. So within a good world, there is a land that is known as paradise. In other words, there is a better place in the good world. And in paradise, God sets a boundary and he creates an enclosure. That encl the word enclosure, the word garden is the word for a boundaried place, an enclosure, a, a place that has a measure around it. And God placed this enclosure in the land of paradise, and it says, towards the east in paradise. That phrase, towards the east, it's several other places in the scripture, but every other time that it's in the scripture, it's describing eternity. That God made a good world. And in that good world, there was a place that's more gooder. It's like paradise. And in paradise, God created an enclosure that was directly connected to eternity. That there was literally heaven on earth. That the boundary of that enclosure, this garden, this is where eternity was touching time. This is where God and man were working together. If you catch this, your life will be changed forever, by the way. That he set man in a place that was infused with eternity, heaven on earth. God put his very spirit, the spirit of God, into man, the breath of life. Man is living primarily connected to a spiritual reality. He is in a place where heaven is dominating the earth. It's heaven on earth, eternity set someplace on the globe. And that's where man is. And from that place, of spiritual connectedness, heaven on earth, that's where God says to man, I want you to cultivate and to keep this garden. The word cultivate is to expand. It is to take more ground. It is to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, make the earth become like this garden. That's the command. Take this garden and expand it over the face of the earth. Fill the earth with this reality. That humanity is filled with the breath of God. And that the work of their hands, the cultivating of the ground, the planting of trees, the pushing of the garden, the boundary of the garden, that heaven flowing through man in his actions. Catch this, come on. The spiritual reality of the uncreated God is breathing into humanity in his image. 
And that man, through their physical actions, is supposed to expand the borders of a natural garden. And that through their actions, heaven would advance on the earth. So Adam's out there planting a tree, but heaven is flowing through him. So that when he plants that tree, the border of the garden where eternity is touching time is expanding. Okay. I'm working as hard as I can up here. I'm trying. (laughs) That Adam is primarily walking in union with his God, a spiritual reality. But he's living a physical life. His view, his eyesight, is set on spiritual reality. We know this because as soon as they sin, it says their eye was open and now they see the physical. They weren't looking at the physical before. They were living primarily from a spiritual point of view towards the natural earth. The breath of God had filled their being and so when they're looking at each other, they're not seeing their nakedness. They're seeing who God made each other to be. They're tilling a natural garden. It's just a garden. But with the work of their hands, they're co-laboring with heaven to advance the rule of heaven on the earth. When Adam and Eve sin, what happens? What what does it say? The, The scripture says that in the day you'll sin, you'll die. Did Adam and Eve die physically? No. No, they did not. They lived a thousand other years. What died that day? That conscious connectedness? That spiritual life predominating their view? The eternal life of heaven flowing into them and through everything that they're doing? That thing cut off. They, they have tasted of the tree of wisdom, of knowledge of good and evil. They have unplugged their decision mechanism from God. They now are the God of their own lives. They now have knowledge to make their own decisions. Before, that was connected to their relationship with God. That's severed now because of the tree. The curse is that they get what they just did. They, they, the fruit of it's going to happen in their life now. They have stepped away from walking in union with God, living primarily by spirit. Now they're responsible for their own choices. Okay. Where are you at, Johnny? I can hear you. Yeah. You getting this? Yeah. Dude. When they sin, God removes them out of the, out of the garden. And it says that he placed in front of the tree of life. Now, if you ate of the tree of life, eternal life was the result. You can't undo these things. They ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and their conscience is awakened to their the God of themselves. And that can't be undone. The fruit of these trees are eternal fruits. They ate of it, the consequence. God says we have to prevent them from eating the tree of life. Why? Because they would be stuck in this state forever. They'll live forever if they eat that tree. So what does God put in the way? It says that he places the cherub, the winged angel, 
and the flame of fire in front of the tree of life. You cannot access the eternal life of that tree because God has placed in front of it wind and fire. You know, there's two times, two times where the phrase God violently breathed upon them. Two times in scripture where that phrase is used. One is in the beginning, God made man and he breathed violently into him the breath of life. The second time is, and on the day of Pentecost, God breathed violently into them the breath of life. And what was the sign that accompanied the breath of life entering back into humanity? Wind and fire. In other words, God opened the door to the tree. That the breath of life is now accessible to humanity. How is it accessible to humanity? Because Jesus, the Messiah, came and consumed the tree of consequence. The cursed tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Jesus consumed it by living a life that was fully submitted to the Father, never violating the Father's will on earth. And when he died, he hung on a tree. In eternity, in heaven, you look at the picture of heaven, nowhere is to be found the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's gone. But everywhere in heaven is the tree of life. Where's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Jesus consumed that sucker. It was a cross. He hung on it to deal with it so that you and I would be free from the power of sin and death. Are you guys alive in this place today? Come on now. Do you understand how, do you know what this means? I mean, we're excited about it, but man, we're like, ah, yes, I'm not sure what this means. <laughs> but you can feel it, because the atmosphere's pregnant with something. Jesus came to restore that which was lost. You know, the original assignment from the Father to humanity was that humanity would make the earth come into alignment with his kingdom. That the rule of heaven would cover the earth. When we went our own way because of sin, the rule of heaven, the breath of life, the ability to partner in spirit with our physical actions... That was severed, that's disconnected. But because of Jesus, he took sin out of the way. Through the waters of baptism, your old nature, your broken compass, the thing that led you to do your own will, that thing is put to death in the waters of baptism. That's what baptism is about. It's about dealing with the old man who always wanted to go his own way. The nature of Adam is put in the grave. When you come out of those waters, you're unified with Christ. Never again to have that old sinful nature a part of your DNA. The Spirit of God comes upon you and breathes in you the breath of life. 
And now you are connected in spirit to your Father. Why? Think about this. Jesus, he goes to the cross. He's resurrected from the dead in power. And then what's he do? I'm out of here. <laughs> he ascends into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father until, until what? Until the kingdoms of this world are brought into subjection to his rule. This world is to be brought under the lordship of Jesus, not by dominating force, but through love, through service, through mercy. Not by control, but through empowerment. The leaven of the kingdom, it's like yeast. You put it into a little bit, and then it works its way through until the whole thing gets touched by the kingdom. This is where the cookie gets crispy. You ready? <laughs> God is baptizing the world in fire. But the fire of heaven doesn't destroy. The fire of heaven removes the natural. It removes what is not eternal. God is breathing his fire through people, through our actions. He's baptizing the world. He wants the world to come into alignment with his kingdom. Jesus ascended and is waiting for us to make his enemies a footstool, to bring all things under subjection to his rule, his feet. And so here's where you and I come into play. Because Jesus saved you. He purchased you with his blood. He removed your sinful nature and he put his spirit in you so that you, like Adam and Eve in the very beginning, would have spirit sight, would be united with the Father in spirit so that the work of your hands could take the rule of heaven and touch the world around you. People get confused sometimes. They get radically saved, touched by Jesus, and they're like, I want to be in ministry. Right? Ministry. Because this is like the outflow. We get excited. We wanna, we're going to give our lives to ministry. We want to do this the rest of our lives. So we sign up to work in a church, and then you find out it's, it's not heaven on earth. It's just like another job. You got a boss. You work for people. You got to do work. You don't just pray all day and sing kumbaya. That ain't what life is like here. Ask anyone who works for me. That ain't what it's like. You know, ministry is the breath of God, the encounter of heaven, and then you, with your hands, labor. You let the breath of God be extended through your labors, being fruitful, produce something. Produce something with your life. Do you know that for the glory of God, you could be a plumber? For the glory of God. You can advance the kingdom with your life. You're bringing forth something. You're being fruitful. You're multiplying. You could absolutely lead a life dedicated to heaven by plumbing people's houses. 100%. Absolutely. Impact people for eternity. Be fruitful, multiply, 
fill the earth, have dominion. Do you know where the Garden of Eden is? People are like, oh, it's somewhere in Africa. No. No, it's not. No, it was just a garden. That's all it was. It was just a garden. The measure of the rule that Adam and Eve walked in determined its boundaries. It wasn't like a physical, magical place where you entered some boundary and then suddenly experienced eternal life. No. It was the union with the Spirit of God that made that place heaven on earth. Where's the Garden of Eden now? Where is, where is eternal life dwelling in time right now? In you. You are the Garden of Eden. You are the place of God's dominion. And how do you cultivate and keep your garden? Because this is what God wants to do with your life. This is what you should spend the rest of your life doing. You should be in union in spirit with God. And then you should work and produce an amazing life. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth with the impact of your life. The fragrance of the authentic breath of God in you. Let it come out of you in your labors. Do something for God. Pour your life out. Build a life. Experience friendship and community and love. So many get tripped up on this and they're like, I need to leave my life to go into ministry. But God's calling you to be an oak of righteousness, a planting under the Lord. He's calling you to put roots down and to bear fruit and impact your community. He wants to take that little strip of houses that are around you. Okay? Two to the right, two to the left. Your house and the five across the street. Those ten houses. He wants to take your little neighborhood and make it heaven on earth. He put you there. He wants you to breathe the breath of life into your family and your marriage. He wants you to be planted and engaged and love and let heaven impact the work of your hands. He's not asking you to leave your garden and go. He's asking you to engage your garden. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Be present in your marriage. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Love your children. Lay your life down. Hardest thing you'll ever do. Care about the people who know you, not the ones that don't know you, that you can, yeah, okay. Everybody can behave for a week mission trip. <laughs> Everyone can. Seven days on the mission field, you can absolutely behave yourself. Yeah, we can all pretend we're godly. Mm-hmm. Do you know why? This is a secret I'll let you into. You know why? You'll never be on a trip longer than nine days with me. Because after nine days, I'm going to have to pastor the team, and I'm not interested in pastoring the team. I'm going to have to work on you because your character is going to show, and it's going to mess people up. I'm going to have to work on reconciliation in our team because at nine days, it's the absolute max capacity that you can pretend. Your authentic character comes out, and now we got to work on it. <laughs> Listen, 
The real garden, your real influence, are the people that are actually in your life, not the people you're visiting. God's calling us to grow our gardens. And if you will impact your world, and I'll impact my world, and you'll impact your world, we'll be faithful in what God's given us, the whole world will come into the knowledge of God's goodness. Whole world. Sometimes, especially in this day, there's a temptation to skip being faithful with the little because you have access to masses through technology. It's a temptation there. Have your viral moment, and somehow that will impact the world, and you'll feel good about yourself afterwards. When we skip being faithful with the little, you do not have dominion or authority in the much. The only way that you end up with authority, dominion, is if from your garden you were fruitful and it multiplied and it began to impact exponentially. But it's because you were faithful in what you were stewarding. So it's authentic from the core all the way to the ends of the earth. Turns out that cannot be instant. You can't get there in one generation. I wish you could. You can't. This is a mystery of the kingdom that God puts hope in you and it's a vision for a future that you're not going to see. And so you're going to have to lay your lives down and pour yourself into others, hoping that God will carry that torch forward. You're going to fill the earth with your impact. It's just that you're not going to see it from this earth. You're going to see it from heaven because it's generational. And if we'll begin to live gener... Oh, did I already lose you? Did What's going on here? You have to live generationally. You cannot spend it all on your moment. The reason I say this is a temptation, by the way, when you get stir crazy like that, it just makes me want to shove harder. <laughs> the temptation of this moment right now is that we have an age of people that have grown up with retirement in mind. And so they've saved all their resources to spend it on themselves at the end of their lives. And it's the largest transfer, transfer, land, largest transfer of wealth in human history happening right now. And we have a generation rising up who wants to spend it on themselves, not so into the next generation. What do you think is going to happen? We're in a crisis moment right now, and that's why we have to see. You have to. Right now, you've got to wake up to the reality that, no, no, God's calling you to be faithful and to sow into what's in your hands. That you're, you're supposed to pour into these relationships and see the next generation move forward and further than you ever could go. To lay your life down and to save something, not accomplish it all. Recognize the next generation is supposed to accomplish something also. You, this thing is a divine. So that the garden covers the earth. Heaven on earth it doesn't need to be a far off reality. We're not dying and going to heaven. No, no. Jesus died so that heaven would come. and Fill your life so your life would have meaning. You'll live your life in connection and spirit. And with the labor of your hands, you'll see Jesus' dominion in your life, in spirit, touch others. Bring transformation. And you'll watch 
families gets restored, relationships get restored, the divine works of God, the signs of God, signs, miracles, wonders, all that stuff follows. There'll be blessing, it'll be increase, all that stuff. It's all attached to this. But it starts with surrender to Jesus. You must lay down your life. You must be born again. Natural birth and spiritual birth. It leads to a wonderful, promise, hope-filled future. Transformation for our globe. I'm not afraid at all about what we face in the future. Why? Because God brought these young people into the world for such a time as this. They will have divine solutions. They will. You might not, but they will. That's why they're here. Man, there's like a, this is like my thousand hour sermon. I could stay on this one and we just keep going. I'm going to land the plane here though. Would you stand to your feet? Are you getting this? The vision statement of the church is this, change the world, start at home. Now you understand why. Just put a hand on your own heart. I'm releasing the blessing of the Father over you, okay? Original blessing, be fruitful. All, be you. Everybody else is taken. Be you. Be authentically you. Be the best version of you. Be fruitful. Bring forth something out of your life. Be fruitful. Be so good at being you that it gets on other people. It multiplies. Bring increase to it. Be so faithful in your garden with your relationships, your marriage, your job. Be so wonderful at it that other people will want to know your secret sauce. How are you doing that? Oh, the life of heaven is filling me. Lord, I bless your people today. Multiply. I pray that the increase of your impact would fill the earth. I pray that the first fruits you would recognize with your life and then it would be carried on from generation to generation. The thousand year blessing, the thousand generation blessing would be upon your family line. You'd rise up out of the temporary setbacks of generational sin. You'd rise up out of it and you would embrace the calling of God on your life to see his kingdom advanced through your life. I bless you today, church. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have dominion. Express the rule of heaven. I bless you today. If you came in here and you have never submitted your life to Jesus, you need to. You must be born again. It all starts with submitting your life to Jesus and letting him take away that old sinful nature. He paid for it. Let his blood covenant change your life forever. You have to receive it. By faith, you decree him Lord. By faith, you receive. Now, if you've been far away from Jesus or you've never prayed to receive Christ before, you're not walking in his lordship or you've never had him as Lord, 
You're coming back today. If that's you, I want you to pray with all your heart. We're going to pray in a moment all together, but you, I'm talking to you. Surrender your life today and let the Spirit of God fill you. Every voice, would you pray with me right now? Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. Today, I decree him Lord. Be my Lord, be my Savior. I receive you, Jesus. Your death is payment for my sins. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you seal each one? Holy Spirit, come. Would you just receive this morning? blessing of the Lord be upon your life. The Spirit of God fill you. Infuse you with life to engage your ordinary life. Oh my, but heaven wants to touch it. You can change the world from your neighborhood. You can. You change the world from your marriage. The whole world can get impacted by the little things that you're doing right now. Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, come. Fill them afresh today, Jesus. Set them apart, Jesus. On earth as it is in heaven. Come your kingdom, Lord, and be done your will on earth as it is in heaven. Bless them today, Lord. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord favor and his countenance be towards you, that you would know what it's like to walk under his smile. Connected to your Father. Living your life fully. May the Lord be so gracious to you. His blessing be upon your life. His peace and shalom guard your way. Decree this today in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody who came into agreement with that said, Amen. Come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord today?